Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you for your amazing grace today. We want to thank you for the life transformation that many of us here today can also give testimony to. We want to thank you that you are actively involved in our lives, that you want to be involved in our lives. You, you run our invitation to us, Lord. We just thank you for that. We want to thank you for how you loved us first, and that's why we love you. We want to thank you for taking the initiative and turning our hearts towards you. And Father, as we look at your word, I pray that your word will just come through crystal clear, and for us to be taken up again with the awe and the wonder of your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to talk today about the guarantee of a changed life, Uh, because that's what baptism is all about, really, in a nutshell. It marks the end of a life without Jesus and the beginning of a new life with Jesus. So the baptism, for that reason, is in two parts. Uh, People go down into the water as a kind of burial service, but we don't leave them in there, which is good news. We also pick them up again We lift them out of the water to signify the beginning of a new life. But I don't think it is just mere symbolism. I really believe that something supernatural happens, that a transaction takes place with God, because what we're, we're doing physically and externally, we're asking God to do in each of these people internally and spiritually. So I do believe that this is a life-changing and life-determining thing that we're doing today for these different individuals. I mean, isn't it great to have some kids being baptized today? Setting their courses for their lives, even now, at this age, towards Jesus. And I just want to say, kids, where are they? Kids, they've done a runner at the moment. Uh, so I just want to say that Henry and Theo have made decisions that will affect the rest of their lives. It will keep them from making some bad decisions. I really believe that. I know I, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was four years old, and I know that that commitment Jesus took seriously. And he kept me through many trials and temptations over the years. And I I want to say to Andrew as well, look, mate, I know you've already experienced some amazing life transformation. I mean, even since we've known you, you've changed. You know, God's done some amazing things. But this is just the beginning. This is just where you start. Imagine what God's going to do in the rest of your life when you get to be as old as me or Margaret Green even. (laughs) Just imagine... But you know, this isn't just about, I just want to say this, this isn't just about the decision you're making today. It's about God's commitment to you. He's making a commitment to you today that he's going to change your life from now and forever. He's going to be committed to changing your life for the better. As we often say around here, Jubilee is about being a church full of people whose lives have been changed by the power of God. Because you could go around many of us here and say, yeah, do you know, God has done some amazing things in my life over the years. I'm a different person to who I was just a year ago because God has been working in my life. And as I've been thinking about this changed life and the guarantee that Jesus gives us, really, of a changed life, I couldn't help but think of the Apostle Paul. I mean, if anybody needed their life to be changed, Paul needed his life to be changed. He is one of the best examples I can think of of life transformation from the worst of sinners to the greatest of saints. And he wrote about this experience looking back many years later. And I want to just read that to you. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'll just read it to you. 
1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 to 17. And this is what he writes, looking back on years of living with Jesus. He says, I thank Jesus, our Lord, he's given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. And you can't help read that passage and be struck by that phrase, the worst of sinners. And you think, really? Are you sure? I mean, this is Paul that we're talking about. Paul, the apostle, the pioneer, the church planter, the miracle worker. Paul is the guy that wrote most of the New Testament. And he says, I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the least of you all, he says elsewhere. And I just, you just sort of think, well, how bad could he have been? (laughs) I mean, straight away we can identify with it, can't we? The worst of sinners. I find it hard to identify with super apostles and people that have never done anything wrong. (laughs) But straight away we can identify with a man who says, I was the worst of sinners. Now, we've all done things, haven't we, in our past that we're deeply ashamed of. We've been involved in stuff we wouldn't want people to know about. I mean, perhaps some of you are still struggling today. But you see, Paul the Apostle had a past too. Isn't that encouraging? Paul had a past, which is why he had to say that he was the worst of sinners. He wasn't sort of being mock humble. Oh, you know, I'm a really bad person, but really I don't think I am. He wasn't being mock humble. He meant it from the bottom of his heart. Because before Paul met Jesus, he was a nasty piece of work. He was as bad and as evil as they come. And he certainly wasn't anybody that would have inspired you. You wouldn't have emulated him. He wasn't anybody that you'd want to follow. In fact, Paul was probably the most evil person and depraved person that you could ever know. I'm sure that none of us know anybody like Paul. And he talks about his past there in verse 13. He says this. He says, I was once a blasphemer. And that doesn't mean... He used to swear a bit. Actually, it's much stronger than that. He was a man who was opposed to Christ with everything he did and said. And so in Acts 26, it says this, I was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus. His whole life was anti-Christ, opposed to him. And he used his high position and influence politically and religiously in society to force others to do the same. So it goes on in that passage in Acts and it says this, that on the authority of the chief priests, I put many Christians in prison. 
And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In other words, he tortured them to force them to recount their faith. Like we're seeing at the moment in the Middle East. Like we're hearing about in Ukraine at the moment. That's what he did. He goes on, in my obsession against them, I even went abroad to foreign cities to pursue them. I mean, that's pretty committed, isn't it? He was a blasphemer. He opposed Jesus with everything that he had inside of him. He goes on to say, I was once, in verse 13, a violent man. I mean, Paul was a religious extremist. He was a terrorist to the church. He was completely and irrationally obsessed about his beliefs. You know, Paul was a serial killer who sought to put whole communities of death, people to death, simply because they didn't go along with his way of thinking. All in the name of God. I mean, there's some parallels today, aren't there? You just think about that. I was a violent man. He says, I was a persecutor. I mean, that's putting it mildly, isn't it? A persecutor. I mean, he was a man on a mission to ethnically cleanse the world of Christians in a way that was more reminiscent of Nazi Germany trying to wipe out the Jews than anything else. It was like a kind of Hitler. He was the kind of person who led soldiers into the homes of Christian men, women, and children at night to drag them to their deaths. This was Paul. The apostle who wrote the Bible. Are you starting to see the scale of this? In another place, he said in 1 Corinthians, he says, I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. In another place, he says, I persecuted the church of God and I tried to destroy it. That's what he was all about. And a friend of mine once said that Paul's conversion was about as likely as the conversion of Osama bin Laden or Saddam Hussein or Hitler. It was that dramatic. That was the kind of influence he had. See, Paul really was the worst of sinners and from a natural point of view, he was completely unqualified for the calling that God had for his life. You know? It's almost as if God looked down one day and said, right, I need somebody to go around the world starting churches. Now, who is the most unqualified person on the face of the earth? Him. I'll have him. He was the most unqualified person. You wouldn't want him leading your church, would you? You'd have some questions over character and past. You need to work through a few things. You know, if anyone had baggage... It was Paul. If any man was disqualified, it was Paul. If anyone was damaged, it was Paul. If anyone was hindered by his past, it was Paul. So what's your excuse? (laughs) You know, I wonder if Paul ever suffered from flashbacks. I mean, did he have nightmares? Did he have nightmares that still haunted him from time to time? I wonder. I don't know. But the fact remains that God chose him. Paul says in verse 12, appointing me to his service. 
And you've got to say, well, who would have chosen such a man? Who would have thought that such an evil man was worth saving, worth bothering with? I mean, surely he deserved God's condemnation and judgment more than anybody else. But at the end of verse 13, Paul says, and you can almost hear Paul's own wonder in this. He says, I was shown mercy. But I was shown mercy. He should have been punished. He should have been made to pay for the pain he caused so many. But instead, Paul says in verse 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. God's favor was just poured out on me. I was shown mercy and God's favor was poured out on me. But you still have to ask the question, I I do, maybe it's just me, but God, but why did you choose Paul? Couldn't you have chosen somebody with a better background? But you see, God chose Paul for a very particular reason. In verse 16 it says this, for this very reason, I'm the worst of sinners, God chose me. I was shown mercy, for what reason? So that in me, the very worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. The reason God chose Paul in the mess that he was in is because he wanted to use him as an example of his unlimited patience, of his manifold grace. Paul says, he chose me the worst of sinners so that Jesus could show the whole world for all time what he can do with the worst case. That's why he chose Paul. He says, I've experienced it. He says, God, you see, the thing is, if God can do it with Paul, the worst case, he can do it with anybody. Anybody. Even you. (laughs) Even me. He can do it with anybody. He says, I've experienced the unlimited patience of Jesus. With my past, I needed it. The unlimited patience. How much is unlimited Unlimited patience. How much is that? That's a lot. Unlimited patience. Wouldn't some of you parents like some of that? Unlimited patience. It never runs out. And Paul must have really pushed it, you know. His testimony was that he never gives up on me. He never gives up. I mess up. I I, I mess up time and time again. He never gives up on me. He never gives up on you, no matter how many times you fail. How many times you have to come back to God again. The unlimited patience is there. It's an everlasting reservoir of the patience of God. Did you know that? Did you know that there's unlimited patience for you in your life and the things that you're working through right now? You see, the reality is that Our patience runs out way before his does. You know, so often we just give up. (laughs) We think it doesn't work. But God's unlimited patience never gives up, never lets go. It keeps pursuing. It keeps pressing into our lives. You see, God used Paul as an illustration. That word example is, it's just an amazing word. It actually means the, an artist's impression. So Paul was God's artist's impression 
of what can be done with a really depraved man or woman. To show the unlimited power of the gospel, not only to save us and guarantee us a place in heaven, it was great singing that hymn about 10,000 years we've been in heaven. No, 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 it starts right now. It's not just to save us and take us to heaven, the grace starts now. His unlimited patience is now. He starts to work on us and with us now. We're in heaven now, did you know? We're seated in heavenly places even now if you're born again, if you're a Christian today. Amen? Sorry, that's not in the script. Stick to the script. Isn't it amazing, though? Isn't this amazing? God's unlimited patience. Doesn't it give us hope? I I think it does. You know, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, who you are. No one is beyond the mercy of God. No one is without hope. That's the gospel message. That's what this is all about. The gospel, you see, to Paul was never theoretical. It was never idealistic or moralistic even. No, he was the living, breathing proof. He was the incarnation of its power himself. Me too. (laughs) Me too. You too. If you're a Christian today, you're a living, breathing example of what the gospel can do. That's why we've got to tell people about it. God's changed my life. Which is why Paul could say in such a heartfelt way, he says, this is a trustworthy saying. I've proved it. He says it deserves full acceptance. Jesus came into the world to save sinners like me. (laughs) I was the worst of the lot and he saved me. That's why he was so motivated to preach. That's why he was so obsessed about the gospel. He'd received so much, so he wanted to give so much. I've been forgiven so much. I want to share that with you. But how did it work? How did God's power actually transform Paul's life? How does that work? What does it mean? I mean, you could spend a whole series on this. So I'm just going to give you one thing which I think is the key to it that Paul tells us about here. It's this. It's called superabundant grace. That's literally what that phrase means, abundant grace. It's superabundant, supernatural abundant grace. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me superabundantly. That's the literal translation. God's supernatural enabling liberally applied to every area of his life, given immeasurably wherever and whenever it was needed. So it was like this. He'd murdered people, and he was guilt-ridden. God poured out his grace, and his, gra- and his guilt was washed away. He tortured people and tried to wipe out the church so much that he needed grace to be poured out on him superabundantly. So God poured it on. His debt was so great that he called himself the worst of sinners. He needed more grace. His case was so bad that he said that Jesus needed all of his unlimited patience to see him through. (laughs) Can you identify with that? It was poured out super abundantly. He had a bad day. He slipped up. He failed miserably. He lost his temper. He kicked the cat. And the grace of God was still there. Poured out super abundantly. 
This was his testimony, his experience of God. It was God's grace, liberally applied, that enabled him to change. Continual forgiveness, unlimited patience. I mean, wouldn't you like a dad like that? I mean, what kind of difference would it have made to your upbringing if your dad had been like that? Wouldn't you like a dad like that? Your father in heaven, he says, it's okay, son, I believe in you. Get up and try again. It's okay, son, I'll take responsibility for that. Give it to me, you keep moving forward. Wouldn't you want to please somebody like that? Wouldn't that impact you if you knew that that's what God was like? Where somebody came to our church just two times, and she's from a different faith background. She said, you know, coming to your church two times has completely revolutionized the way I look at God. I realize he's not angry, but he actually loves me. Do you know that? What kind of father we have. Let me just say this. You know, to Andrew, Theo and Henry, which you can pass on to them later, but, you know, you're, you're going to come up against some stuff in life. You're going to come up against some temptations, temptations that seem really attractive to you. Behaviors that come out of nowhere and shock you because you thought I was, you know, I thought I was changed now. (laughs) Or attitudes you didn't know you had, you thought they were dealt with. We've all been through these things, experienced these things. Oh God, I thought, I thought I dealt with that years ago. Now there's another layer. (laughs) Really? (laughs) But let me say this also to you. God is immeasurably patient. And superabundantly gracious. And he won't condemn you. He's committed to you. He's committed to seeing through what he started in you. And bringing change from the inside out. How does this happen? Well, it starts in the area of our desires. Our appetites. And what motivates us. You know, often when you talk to somebody who's just become a Christian. Particularly. So I don't want the same things anymore. Something's changed inside. I've got new desires inside me. Paul says this. He writes it in Romans chapter 7. He says, look, I have a desire to do what is good. I don't always do it, but I have a desire. (laughs) Well, you didn't have that desire before. Actually, your desire was to go and do that other stuff. A desire is put there. Something's changed. That's it. I want to please God. Some things I didn't want to do anymore. Well, that's where the change starts. It doesn't mean we always have the power to carry it out straight away, but our desires have changed, so we start to live differently. And this is what positions us for God's intervention, who through a whole combination of the work of the Holy Spirit, teaching, reading what it says in the Bible, because actually this book is a manual of what God has given us, and we need to work out how it works. And discipleship, help from other people, God begins to work change in our lives. So much more to say. And the realization I've come to, I became a Christian at four and now I'm just 23 and a half. (laughs) And the thing I've realized about life and God is that Christians are not perfect. And it's not about living perfectly. Actually, I found it's more about living desperately. I desperately need God. I desperately need God to work in my life. It's a good place to start. That's what enables change. So look, baptism, it seals the deal with God. He's committed to bringing change for the rest of our lives and make us more like Jesus. 
You know, if you've been a Christian for many years, I just want to challenge you. Say, how have you changed in the last year? How have you allowed him to work in you and bring change from the inside out? How are you different from five years ago? Have you progressed? Have you matured? Are you dealing with sin more easily now? (laughs) Do you want God to deal with stuff in your life more openly? You know, Paul's a great and hopeful example to us. The the worst of sinners to the greatest of saints. God stepped in. He was shown mercy. Grace of of God poured out superabundantly. Paul desperately needed the grace of God and depended on it. But he never forgot that Jesus came into the world to save sinners just like him. God did this, Paul said, as God's example for what he could do in us. It should encourage us. You know, I I thankfully didn't start as... As far back as Paul in that sense, I guess. I've got my own baggage. (laughs) But look where he's come. The man who was in that place wrote most of the Bible. That's quite some journey. God can do it with each one of us. Praise God. This example shows us that no one's excluded from the gospel. No one's too broken, they can't be fixed. Nothing in your past can ever stop you or hinder you from being all that God has called you to be. Amen.